0: Hi, I'm Mike, and this is Urban Legends and Conspiracies, where we discuss all the fun things in life we think about late at night, but never really talk about. I just opened myself a nice Belgian lager, and on this episode, we are going to discuss the Lost Cosmonaut Theories. The Lost Cosmonaut Theories are a series of conspiracies that allege that in the early days of the space race, the Soviet Union attempted to launch human space flights before Yuri Gagarin's historic first space flight on 12 April 1961, and that the cosmonauts on board those flights died. In those attempts. Those launches were subsequently covered up by the Soviet Union. The secretive nature of the Soviet space program may have helped perpetuate these theories due to the fact that the space program was so secret that even a regular Soviet citizen, like the equivalent of some guy like myself working and living, in the Soviet equivalent of Ohio, couldn't even really achieve a concrete image of it, but rather a superficial picture of its history, present activities, or future endeavors. For example, they didn't announce launches when they took place. It was only after they took place and were successful. Cosmonaut names weren't released until after they flew, and mission details were so sparse that outside observers didn't even know the size or shape of the rockets on most of their their spaceships. Quote, spaceships more like capsules. So one could see how this secretive nature would have created a breeding ground for such conspiracies to run rampant. The military influence over the Soviet space program was probably the best explanation for the secrecy. We have to remember this is the height of the Cold War. During these years, we're seeing events like the Cuban Missile Crisis, the Vietnam War, which hadn't really started yet, but it was on the forefront. We would see this back and forth game with nuclear weapons tests. You had the A-bomb, then the H-bomb. I believe neutron bombs were a thing. You had new military technologies coming daily. And considering that they're creating a space program based on these military technologies you can understand the secret of nature behind this especially considering that there could have been spies anywhere giving this information to the united States. remember this is the soviet union this is a very paranoid time in history and that may sound crazy today that there was a spy in the soviet space program It's not far-fetched if you pitch that idea in the late 50s or early 60s because the amount of intelligence you can gather to have military superiority over your enemy in such a program would have been a vast wealth of knowledge. So in a sense, that secrecy really was necessary for national security and for even winning the propaganda game. The program's public pronouncements were always uniform formally positive. As far as the people knew, the Soviet space program had never experienced a single failure. Quotes, with almost no exceptions, coverage of the Soviet space exploits, especially in the case of human space missions, omitted reports of failure or trouble. So if you're trying to win the propaganda game, it is best not to announce your failures. Especially when you're pronouncing yourself to be the greatest nation in the world. Everybody thinks that Americans are the only one with that idea of we're number one, we're the best in the world, but this actually Goes across many nations and many cultures. The Romans, they believed that Rome was the greatest, the best in the world, and everybody else was a barbarian. The British Empire, the French Empire, countless others. The Soviet Union was just another one in that long list. That's how you win a propaganda war. So now that we've really gotten into kind of the mindset around the Soviet space program, let's kind of start at the beginning of the Soviet, or I guess you could say Russian, space program. Because it really goes back to the Russian Empire. It starts in 1903. The first realistic proposal of spaceflight, and this is anywhere in the world, goes back to, and I am going to pronounce this name wrong, on a side note, I am a hillbilly from southeastern Ohio. I do speak with a strong apostasy. Dialect. So forgive me, Russians. I'm gonna butcher every name I come across. Konstantin Tsiolkovsky. His most famous work, The Euro- the Exploitation of Cosmic Space by Means of Reaction Devices, try saying that five times fast, was first published in 1903. However, this was a theoretical work, and it was not widely, widely influential outside of Russia. Spaceflight didn't really become an engineering possibility until Robert Goddard, Wrote a paper in 1919 called A Method of Reaching Extreme Altitudes. This paper was highly influential on the likes of polite well, Hermann Obereth and Werner von Braun. Sorry, my German is just as bad as my Russian, so if I butchered those names, I apologize to German speaking people everywhere. And yes, that Werner von Braun, who would become kind of the uh, father of American spaceflight. we'll touch on him and his work a little bit in the next segment of this ever. will really get into his work and his history on a future podcast that I'm currently working on. Kind of the American equivalent or American answer to this current podcast. So the first rocket to reach space was a German V-2 rocket built by Wernher von Braun. This was in June of 1944. After World War II ended, the research into rocket technology was being snatched up by both the Americans and the Soviet. The Americans had had what was called Operation Paperclip, which was a program to bring back former Nazi scientists to the United States. The Russians had Operation kim it's a really hard name, and the crazy thing is I believe that that is actually an acronym. So this was a Soviet operation, just like Operation Paperclip, in which the MVD, previously the NKVD, of the Soviet Army was basically bringing german specialists and workers from east germany to the soviet union for quote employment what they really wanted them to do was to recreate what they were creating in germany at the time most importantly the v2 rocket however they were also interested in jet technologies and various other technologies that would give them a military and scientific edge over the United States. We were doing this too, part of how Werner von Braun ended up in the United States. And if you're really interested in any kind of space history, it really does start at the end of World War II in this very murky post-Nazi kind of era. It's actually very fascinating. And these post-World War II murkiness and these programs really lead us to the topic at hand and the lost cosmonaut theories. So, in December 1959, an alleged high-ranking Czechoslovakian communist was leaking information about unofficial space shot. Alexey Ledzovsky was mentioned as being launched inside a converted R-5A rocket, kind of the successor to the V-2. Three more names of alleged cosmonauts claimed to have perished under similar circumstances. They were Andrei Mitkov, Sergei Shiburin, and Maria Gromova. So in December... Uh, the Italian news agency Continental. So many European languages. Huh, it's hard for a dumb hillbilly from Ohio. Uh, they actually repeated these claims of a series of cosmonaut deaths on suborbital f- flight. However, the Soviet Union wasn't going to come out and say, Hey, we've been launching suborbital flights and there's a bunch of dead cosmonauts. Remember, they had, to, they had a propaganda game to win. However, even in the post-Soviet time... When documents were released about the early space program, evidence of the suborbital flight never came to light. It's kind of just written off as a rumor. However, you know, rumors come from somewhere. They usually have some grain of truth to them. Now, it is true that in 1959, the Soviets were performing high altitude equipment tests as kind of like training for future astronauts. At this time, they knew they were going to put someone into Space. So they were performing all these scientific tests. So in the late 50s and early part of the 60s, the Soviets started performing high altitude parachute tests. Basically, they were testing spacesuits and if they would protect the human body in spaceflight. So they would perform these high altitude jumps from these gondolas. And one person that is known to have died from it was a Colonel Pyotr Dolgov. He was killed on November 1st, 1962, while performing. Performing a high-altitude parachute jump from a balloon gondola. He jumped from something like 93,000 feet, and the helmet visor actually broke. It depressurized his suit and that depressurization killed him. There were thought to have been two other people involved in that jump a man named Ivan Katcher and another man named Alexey Gratchov. Funny because Katcher is thought to have disappeared around this time which just adds a little bit to the murkiness of what we actually know about this era. Another man who was thought to have participated in these jumps was a man named Gennady Zavadov. He would later appear on lists of dead cosmonauts without a death date or accident description attached. However, it is believed that he most likely died in one of those jumps. Now, while it is true that some of these high-altitude parachutists do show up on cosmonaut death lists, contemporaries of the time and even some of the former parachutists denied vehemently that they actually went into space and that those who died actually died on space flights. However, I think the real reason why these parachutists show up on cosmonaut death lists isn't because they died in space during attempted um, space flights on glorified V-2 rocket. I think the real reason why they show up on these lists is because these men and what they did really paved the way for the likes of Yuri Gargarin and his followers to go into space and therefore they can probably call themselves cosmonaut. Uh, I think the reason they had to vehemently deny it was more do with refuting these conspiracy theories. So the next time we hear a theory about Lost Cosmonauts is in 1960 when the American author Robert Heinlein wrote in his article Pravda Means Truth that on May 15th, 1960 while he was traveling in the Soviet Union, he was told by Red Army cadets that the Soviet Union had launched a human in orbit that day. However, later that same day it was denied by officials. Heinlein speculated that Korbel Sputnik 1, which was launched that day was an orbital launch. Officials said this was uncrewed and that the retro rockets had fired in the wrong altitude making recovery efforts unsuccessful. However, according to Gagarin's biography, the rumors were most likely started as a result of two Vostok missions which were equipped with dummies and human voice tape recordings. They wanted to test that the radio were and that the test dummies were there for weight reasons. These were made just prior to Gagarin's flight. Now this was a real space flight. is confirmed in history actually in 1962 a colonel barney oldfield reviewed revealed that an uncrewed space capsule had indeed been orbiting earth since 1960 it was confirmed by nasa to be the same flight that did launch on may 15 1960 it was a prototype of the later Zenit and Volsta launch vehicles what happened was the onboard braking engine unit had ordered the rector rockets to fire to recover However, due to a malfunction of the attitude control system, the spacecraft got oriented upside down and when they actually fired it, it put the craft higher into orbit. The re-entry capsule did lack a heat shield as there was no plans to actually recover it. That's what they say at least. Let's remember that there was this rumor going around of it being a manned flight and that there were recordings, whether or not those were just tape recordings or whether or not there was a lost cosmonaut on that flight i guess we'll never truly know now the official story is the reentry capsule did lack a heat shield and there were never any plans to actually recover it and that the original planned use of the vessel aside from testing the radio was to use the vessel's telemetry data to determine if the guidance system had functioned correctly so it was unnecessary to recover it according to them so theorists generally believe that this first flight was a manned flight and that its failure led to the story of the dummies and the human voice tape recordings. However, personally if I were a scientist working in this program, I would probably do the same thing considering I would want to know if the radio worked with human voices and I would want my weight, weight ratios to be correct. Uh, that's critical in space flight. So the scientific part of my mind says that this was just good science It was a good experiment. Of course I'm going to use dummies to gather data before I actually send up a human. However, there always is that nagging question of were the Soviets so desperate to win the propaganda game and prove military superiority by prematurely launching somebody into space in hopes of a successful mission? I guess we'll truly never know. It's fun to think about, though. So that brings us to our next topic. Vladimir Ilyushin butchered that last name. So according to Wikipedia, which, side note, despite what your college professors and your high school English teachers or history teachers or whoever will tell you. Wikipedia actually is a great source of information. If you can't find what you need on Wikipedia, you can actually go to its references guide and find great sources there. A lot of their stuff is extracted from journal articles. They're not a sponsor, but they hey, there's my Wikipedia plug. If you want to give me money, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> Joking aside. So, Major General Vladimir. I am not even going to try to pronounce that middle name, Ilyushin, was a soviet general and test pilot and son of engineer Sergei ilyushin he did spend most of his career as a test pilot he's actually also in the world rugby hall of fame which actually rugby is one of my favorite sports i generally cheer for the welsh national team so go whales so two days before gagarin's launch on 12 april 1961 some guy named dennis ogden wrote in the western communist newspaper the daily worker that the Soviet Union's announcement that Ilyushin had been involved in a serious car crash was actually a cover story for an April 7, 1961 orbital spaceflight gone wrong. So, orbital spaceflight gone wrong, Soviets cover it up. <sighs> Typical. A similar story also was told in France. However, that version was said to have occurred in march resulting into a slipping into a coma norad tracking stations however had no information on such a launch whatsoever which makes sense we were tracking everything the soviet union was doing so if it wasn't picked up by norad they were either really good at at scrubbing it or it just never happened later that year the news and world report actually actually transmitted the rumor that gagarin actually never flew and was nearly a stand-in for the sickened Il'yushin. there's a 1999 film thank you wikipedia it's actually a really good resource i'm getting more information from here than my own notes (laughs) that film cosmonaut cover-up 1999 takes the position that Il'yushin was the first man in space and discusses the alleged cover-up in detail. They claim, quote, According to recently declassified documents, Ilyushin was placed in a capsule named Brasiria, and the secret flight took place in the early hours of the morning on Friday, April 7th, 1961. After a guidance malfunction, the cosmonaut is reported to have made an unguided crash landing in China, too critically injured to announce the mission to complete success. In the 2009 film Fallen Idol, the Yuri Gagarin conspiracy also takes the same position and further discusses U.S. efforts to continue this allegation, winning the propaganda war, obviously, even citing national security not to release information under the Freedom of Information Act. This data was sought from the CIA. Sometimes Wikipedia doesn't really have the best writing. The data sought was from the CIA tracking station at Turn Island that supposedly covered and recorded Ilyushin's failed mission. According to Mark Wade, editor of the space history website Encyclopedia Astronautica, the entire history of the Soviet manned space program has been declassified and we have piles of memoirs of cosmonauts engineers etc who participated we know who was in the original cosmonaut team who never flew was dismissed or killed in ground tests. and yulshun was not one of them so i guess you could say that dismisses that theory however if you did want to launch a anti-Soviet propaganda campaign, that would be a great way to go about it by discrediting the entirety of that first launch, that historical launch on that date. So as we can see at this point, a lot of these theories can pretty much be debunked by just general knowledge of the scientific method or the lack of evidence or just a general knowledge of the kind of the propaganda war that was going on and the murkiness in history of the space program. However, it doesn't stop the rumors from perpetuating, and there's always that what-if question. One of my favorite rumors actually appeared in Omen Ra. It was a novel by a writer named plevin this rumor was that the soviet sample return craft luna and the remote controlled automatic room over lunacold which were probes that russia actually sent to the moon in order to get soil data rock data etc that due to failures in automation they were actually piloted by cosmonauts who agreed to take part in suicide missions this is pretty ridiculous for a number of reasons. One, robotics at this point was making great advances and driving a probe around the moon or were- small or small rover via remote control wasn't actually that difficult of a leap you're literally just sending radio signals through some sensors so the idea that somebody would cram themselves into a rover the size of a desk with a complete life support system to make the three-day journey to the moon plus the task of controlling this thing from the inside for the several days that that they would have needed to. Actually, Lunghold lasted for much longer. And a few years ago, it actually recently reestablished contact with the Earth. That is actually very fascinating. It sent back a ton of data. It's still up there. As far as I know, it's still up there doing its job. So the fact that it's dragging around a Soviet corpse is pretty far-fetched, especially considering it's still working. That's probably one of my favorite rumors about the Lost Cosmonaut Theory, even though it's completely ridiculous. And, I mean, I think if I recall Omen Ra is a science fiction but it's fun to think about which kind of gets us onto the topic of the confirmed hoaxes. Probably the most famous one is the and I'm gonna butcher the name like I always do the Judica Cordiglia brothers this was in the early 60s these brothers were former amateur radio operators so after World War 2 they were interested in radio and they broke into this like world war ii bunker that had all this radio equipment and they were doing all this like ham radio stuff and in the course of this they claimed to have recorded several failed secret soviet space missions this is probably the most famous case In Soviet conspiracy theories, lost cosmonaut conspiracy theories out there. They generated public interest for more than 50 years. People still claim today that they were actual, real Soviet recordings of failed cosmonaut missions. So, Achilles? Achilles? Maybe Achilles? It's spelled like Achilles. And his brother Giovanni Battista, they set up their experimental listening station outside of Turin in the 50s. And they called it Torre Burt. It was a disused German bunker. And they claimed to have successfully monitored transmissions from Soviet Sputnik program and Explorer 1, the first American satellite, which is kind of the answer to Sputnik. This would have been around fifty-seven, fifty-eight, And they were actually able to use equipment that recorded the flight information, the telemetry, the voice recordings, and visual data of other sl- Launches. Of course, anybody with a radio in the fifties could have picked up Sputnik. Sputnik was a glorified basketball that had some antenna and a little sensor on it, and it just belted out a radio signal. Literally, anybody could pick it up. So, doesn't really make them all that special or unique, considering the whole purpose of Sputnik was to communicate that there was a satellite up there. So, in the sixties they released these recordings that were alleged to be radio communications taken from secret Soviet space missions, including the dying sounds of a suffocating lost cosmonaut. In total, they released nine recordings over the period of four years. Of these were included a May 1960 recording of an unnamed cosmonaut who was lost when his orbiting space capsule veered off course. November 1960 recording, in which they were alleged to have picked up an SS OS message in Morse code from a troubled spacecraft. In February 1961, they were alleged to have recorded the suffocation of a cosmonaut and in April 1961 just prior to Yuri Gagarin's flight, a capsule that circled the Earth three times before re-entering Earth's atmosphere. Then later in May of 1961, Weak calls for help from an orbiting capsule which would have been about a month after Yuri Gagarin's famous historic flight. Other recordings that were reported were a Soviet spacecraft that had veered off course and vanished deep into space. A space capsule that bounced off of Earth's atmosphere during re-entry and disappeared. 1963, an unnamed female cosmonaut who died on re-entry, probably when the heat shield failed. And in the last 1964, a cosmonaut la- lost when the capsule burned up on re-entry. Again, heat shield failure. So out of these recordings, the November 1960 recording was their most famous. It was the SOS signal that seemed to be moving away from... From Earth. It was picked up by a Swiss-Italian radio station, and the brothers became instant celebrities. They became the station's, quote, space expert. This SOS Morse code signal had purportedly been sent from a troubled spacecraft leaving Earth's orbit in May of 1961. An orbiting spacecraft purportedly makes an appeal for help after going out of control. And then in November 1963, the brothers said they recorded a the voice of a female cosmonaut reentering Earth's atmosphere in a malfunctioning spacecraft. In the reporting, she is heard to have cried out, I Am Hot as it burned up on re-entry. Of course, there's been a ton of skepticism over these recordings, the main one being that it Western anti-Soviet propaganda. However, a lot of people have verified these as hoaxes they cast out on their provenance. For instance, audio transcripts reveal that none of the cosmonauts who were supposed to be Soviet Air Force pilots followed standard communication protocols, such as identifying them spells them speaking or using correct technical terminology the recordings contain disjointed sentences and grammatical errors it's believed that their sister was learning russian at the time and the female cosmonaut voice was actually her and since she was just learning russian she made grammatical errors where this really breaks down is when you look at the transcript of the cosmonauts who are, that are saying that they are leaving Earth's orbit. They were on Vostok 3KAs, and those could not reach escape velocity. Their designs didn't contain a secondary burn propulsion unit. They were meant for low Earth orbit, and the whole point was to get to low Earth orbit and return safely. There's no way in physics that you can simply just veer off into space Earth's gravitational pull uh, doesn't allow for that you really need a secondary burn propulsion unit and the ones that were powerful enough to leave earth's orbit didn't even appear until 1969 in the soviet union with the rd-270 engine and it wasn't until the N-1 moon rocket in 1974 that the Soviets were able to build something that could actually reach open space. So my reaction to the tory Burt recordings is they're just garbage, they're a hoax. The brothers were just using these recordings to just kind of get their 15 minutes of fame in. At least that's how I feel. I do not believe that they for one second believed that they were listening to the cries of dying Soviet cosmonauts. And I think that that whole idea does kind of spit on the graves of the those who did perish in the Soviet cosmonaut program. So what can we say is the legacy of the lost cosmonaut theories? I would say it does open our eyes to the murky details of the early days of the early space race. There is a lot of mystery there. And anywhere there is mystery, rumor, and just a general lack of information, we will always question what happened. Personally, when I'm asked if I believe in the lost cosmonauts theories, I can only answer that I don't know. Did they cover up failures and deaths during the testing? Of course they did. Is there evidence of that? Yes, there is. But is it possible that some unknown cosmonaut who was scrubbed from history accomplished what Yuri Gagarin did? I don't actually know, officially know, but it's hard to say. I'd like to believe that the answer is no, but this was a time when people were willing to take outrageous risks in order to grasp military and scientific superiority. It's what drove us to become a spacefaring species. So it could be possible that somebody attempted to launch into space, maybe due to a technical issue or failure. They were killed either at the launch or maybe they died re-entering Earth's orbit. Maybe they didn't have a good grasp on heat shields. It's hard to say. It could be possible. I can't say it's impossible. I wasn't there. And if it did happen, then I raised my beer to that brave anonymous lost cosmonaut because of these theories you are not forgotten and your legacy will live on this is mike and you have been listening to urban legends and conspiracies and if you like this tell your friends my podcast grows primarily by word of mouth so if you want to hear more of this help me out tell a friend tell them to give me a listen and i'll see you in the next episode